We come today to the foundational book of the rest of the Bible. It provides us with a network of foundational understandings of reality that color all we are, know, and experience. The standard word for this foundation is worldview. But what is a worldview? A worldview is the story a group of people tell themselves about reality and their relationship to it. It guides their understanding, emotions, conduct, and interpretation of life. It orients us to our place in the world. Now, everyone has a worldview. It can be conscious. It can be unconscious. It's generally a combination of both. People hold to their worldviews with varying degrees of certainty. Notice in our readings today how creation is presented in an ascending order. The idea of purposeful history is woven into the warp and woof of the biblical worldview from the very beginning. It would be hard to find another idea more central to our mental health than this one, that life is intrinsically purposeful because it is the creation of a purposeful God. One of the things that upset Hamlet's mental health was his view of life as a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, yet signifying nothing. Humankind is the pinnacle of God's creation, given purpose and authority. Of all creation, only humankind is said to be created in the image of God. There is a kinship between the creator and this particular creation. How important is this idea to how we form and explore ethics? Let's look at that. What happens in cultures where people are not accorded the dignity of being made in the image of God, where people are dispensable and where it is fine to treat other human beings like animals. Remember that Adolf Hitler loved his dogs. You can find pictures of him with his German shepherd, which he loved. But Jews, homosexuals, utterly dispensable. And the sooner, the better. For our own psychological health and for the health of society, we must remember the intrinsic value of the human being. Even the worst of us is made in the image of God. And there is something about a human being before which angels bow. There is a story in Jewish tradition which says that when man was first created, the angels bowed in worship because man was made in the image of God, 
and they mistook Adam for God. Now, this may be a quaint story, but the point is important. There is something glorious about being a human being. We need to remember that about ourselves and about others. Especially we must remember that about the people whom our society or subculture teaches us it is okay to ignore, despise, and treat as less than ourselves. Illegal immigrants are made in the image of God. Transsexuals are made in the image of God. Muslims are made in the image of God. And while it is true that all of us, even the best of us, mar and disfigure that image, yet the image remains. People are to be treated like the pinnacle of God's created work. All of them. Every single one of them. Just think how society would change if we would remember this and live it out. The Bible will cure us of what ails us, but we must immerse ourselves in its thought and allow ourselves and our communities and our worldviews to be disciplined by it. Next, God calls his completed work holy, and he experiences satisfaction in the completion of his work. What is holy about your work in the world? Do you find completed work a source of satisfaction? Why? Why not? You know, being a ditch digger can be holy work. Even being a grave digger. Many years ago, I did a funeral for the mother of a Jewish believer here in Los Angeles. She was buried in a small cemetery, small Jewish cemetery. And when I arrived there, I found a station wagon with two yeshiva boys about the age of 22, young guys. I thought they were there to run interference or something. They said no. Their rabbi had told them that this Jewish woman was going to be buried at the cemetery and there were no Jewish grave diggers. And he said, it's not fit. It's not fitting that a Jew should be buried by others. So these two yeshiva bachers came to the cemetery to bury a stranger, a Jew. Tell me this does not underscore the dignity of human beings, the dignity of being raised, uh, of bearing in mind that we're made in the image of God. Raising children is holy work. Changing diapers is holy work. It's part of our responsibility. It's part of, of showing love and concern. I was thinking about a man I met I'm going to call him Victor. Victor was a black man raised in Texas, uh, not well educated. 
he bought his first house when he was 18 years old. He made money. Uh, uh, he had a, a cleaning business, mopping up uh, 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 laundromats and things like that. And he also serviced Avatzion Synagogue when we were in Beverly Hills for a while with a mop. He's a man who had been married three times. Two of his wives had cheated on him. He had 10 children. And he was in good relationship with all 10 of his children. He told me about driving out to Arizona State University to see his son in a football game. And he would do that kind of regularly. And his son said to him, he said, this is such a story. He said, Dad, you must really love football. Victor said, no, son, I love you. Tell me that's not holy. We need to remember the holiness of being a human being. We need to remember that we're made in the image of God. Adolf Eichmann, may his name and memory be blotted out. When he, he was the only man who was ever executed in the modern state of Israel. But when he awaited trial and execution, he was treated with dignity. There was an American Pentecostal pastor of all things who visited him regularly to try and, uh, and uh, discipline his soul and bring him to repentance. Can you imagine that the Jewish state took interest in the state of Adolf Eichmann's soul. Where did that come from? That comes from remembering what we must never forget and what the worldview of these opening chapters of Genesis, these chapters, I cannot preach to you today adequately about how splendid they are, how foundational they are, how transformational they are. Uh, all of that behavior, that holy behavior by the state of Israel toward its greatest enemy next to Adolf Hitler, may his name and memory be blotted out. Eichmann, the architect of the final solution, they took concern for this man's soul and did not treat him like an animal. Why? Because he's made in the image of God. This week's Torah reading introduces us to uh, something called the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. The evil inclination in humankind, which leads us to sinful choices and disruption of our relationship with ourselves, with each other, with God and the cosmos. In traditional Judaism, the evil inclination is manifested in bad choices where we seek to satisfy our constitutional appetites in illegitimate ways. I even had knew a Christian pastor when I first became a believer who got this. He said that sin is seeking to satisfy a legitimate desire in illegitimate ways. That's what Judaism teaches. Unlike some schools of Christian thought, Judaism postulates that people have a good inclination 
and an evil inclination. We have the capacity and therefore the responsibility to make those choices which accord with God's will. We are not predetermined to make bad choices. This conviction appears a couple of chapters later than what we read today in the story of Cain and Hevel, Cain and Abel, in Bereshit, Genesis, chapter 4. Cain is jealous and resentful of his brother because God had accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice and he had not accepted Cain's sacrifice. So God comes to Cain and says, why are you angry? Why so downcast? If you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head up high? But if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. That's incredible stuff. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. This conviction that we can master our evil inclination lies at the heart of Jewish ethics alongside being made in the image of God. Similarly, Judaism postulates that the soul God has put within us is pure. It's, our souls in Judaism are like a snowbank. And our task in life is not to defile our soul with sinful choices. This is a different viewpoint from how much Christian thought postulates that we are incapacitated through original sin, that evil choices are sooner or later inevitable for us. I think that's a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. But let me ask you this question to take away with you today. Which approach to ethical living seems more productive? to you. Seeing our evil choices as the inevitable consequence of our sinful nature against which we battle in the power of the Spirit is, should we have a Flip Wilson ethical structure? The devil made me do it. Is, is that the best way to see things? Or is it better seeing our lives like a pure snowbank, which we might want to avoid defiling with sinful choices. The second creation account in Genesis chapter 2 explores how God positions humankind in a web of relationships which we are expected to honor. Our common life experience confirms that our troubles all arise with our violation of these relationships. This is incredible chapters. In chapter 2, verse 15, it is our relationship to work and our environmental responsibility. Adonai, God, took the person and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and care for it. Do we get in trouble through not taking care of our environment? We don't have to answer that one. In verses 16 and 17, it is the proper boundaries in our relationship to knowledge and our relationship to the authority of God. We read, Adonai, God, gave 
the person, Adam, this order. You may eat freely from every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat from it, because on the day that you eat from it, it will become certain that you will die. End quote. Next, it is our relationship to the created order and to one another, including differentiating our relationship with animals from our relationship with other human beings. Adonai God said, it isn't good that the person should be alone. I will make for him a companion suitable for helping him. So from the ground, Adonai God formed every wild animal and every uh, bird that flies in the air. And he brought them to the person to see what he would call them. Whatever the person would call each living creature, that was to be its name. This is establishing relationship between Adam and these things. You name things, they find a place in your life. So God is establishing Adam's hierarchy of relationships. But for Adam, there was not found a companion suitable for helping him. For this, man will need woman. And for this, we all need other people. And tell me it's not true that our lives fall into chaos and disorder and despair because our relationship to the environment, our relationship to where how we tend to treat our dogs better than we treat people, our relationship to other people. Tell me that it's not in these areas that are so elegantly outlined for us in these opening chapters of Genesis. It's in these areas where life either blossoms or it crumbles. All of this is a marvelous framework for understanding the human condition, for keeping us productively oriented to the privilege of being alive due to the kindness of a God who gives to all men everywhere life and breath and everything. I encourage us all this week, read Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 6-4, which is our parasha. Read it. Meditate on it. Discover its worldview. We talked about worldview earlier, and here's how we defined it. We said that a, a worldview is a story a group of people tell themselves about reality and their relationship to it. If we don't decide what our view of reality is and what our relationship to it is, then other factors will decide for us. And that's why Paul will say in Romans 12, don't let the world press you into its mold. Don't let the environment form your worldview. A worldview guides our understanding, our emotions, our conduct, and our interpretation of life. It orients us to our place in the world. 
living God, please help us to rightly identify and occupy our place in the world and help us that all the work we do, whatever the sphere, would be holy because everything in our life is an offering to you who have given to us and to all people everywhere life and breath and everything. Thank you, God. Amen.